0: Welcome back, dear friends, to the latest episode of the podcast, The Way Out Is In. My name is Joe Confino, and I work at the intersection of
1: personal transformation and systems change. And I am Brother Fap Hu a Zen Buddhist monk in the tradition of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh in the Plum Village community in France. Today we have a wonderful guest, Sister Gina, my elder sister. She has uh, been in our community since 1990. She first came to Plum Village for a three week retreat and it was based on Buddhist psychology. Sister Gina, would you like to share with us how you arrived in Plum Village?
2: Yes, certainly. And I would like to start with how I actually physically arrived in Plum Village, because that's quite an experience. Um, I had registered for the retreat, so I knew Plum Village was in Lubes-Barnac. I didn't know anything about Plum Village at that time. So I looked at the map and saw Lubes-Barnac is not very far from Aime. And I checked on uh, the public transportation and I found there is a bus from Bordeaux to Aime and then on. So I thought I'd take that bus and I'm in Aime, Aime, I'm close to Plum Village. I arrived in Plum Village and then I thought, so I'll call Plum Village to tell them I am in Eme. I looked in the telephone directory, no Plum Village. So I went through the whole list of people around uh, Lubes Bernac, and I saw Unified Buddhist Church. And I thought, well, that's the only thing that says Buddhist. Maybe that's Plum Village. So I called and a very kind lady answered the phone and I said, uh, I am in Aime. And she said, no, you're supposed to be in Saint-Foy-la-Grande. We don't go to Aime. We only pick up in Saint-Foy-la-Grande. And I said, well, don't worry, I'll walk. And she said, oh, well, maybe we'll find somebody to come and pick you up. I said, okay. So I set out walking. It was a very hot day and I sometimes suffer from migraine and as I walked, a migraine came up. And everything, every time I put my foot down, it went zoom, zoom in my head. So what did I do? Whenever I put my foot down, I put it so gently down because I didn't want to have this zoom, zoom in my head. And I walked and I walked every step very gently on the earth. You know? And then I came to a tree and I thought with some shade, I have to stop and sit down. And then from the other side came a little Renault... Uh, a little Renault 4, uh, sort of battered up. And the window went down and somebody said, you must be Sister Gina. And I thought, saved. <laughs> so I was taken to, uh, the, um, to the lower hamlet in the Renault. Next day, there was an in- orientation by Thai. And what did I speak about? Walking meditation. I thought, I have come to the right place in the right way. Aware of every step I took. Beautiful.
0: Sister, can you tell us a little bit about just your path to meditation? Because um, before you became a monastic, you had a, a yoga center and a meditation center. Can you just talk about what first, maybe, what first attracted you to this practice?
2: First, I think it's in my genes. I, my mother was Irish. And in Ireland, they say, one child for the church. Well, my church ended up to be a Buddhist church, but that's fine too. My mother read Daitai Suzuki and Edward Conzi. Um, when he ordained, my mother said she always knew I would become a nun, but didn't know which tradition, because I was also interested in yoga. And I'd practiced yoga, and I had trained as a yoga teacher. And at that time, I lived in a, in a, in a house in in County Wexford, in Wexford Town in Ireland, that had a long building in the back that the previous owner used to teach dance to children. So I turned that into a yoga and meditation center and I started to teach yoga and meditation in Wexford Town. And it took off very well. And then one time I realized I need some more guidance to continue on the spiritual path. And I went to some um, retreats and one was, it was in Germany led by a Dutch meditation teacher who spoke about various meditation techniques. And one he spoke about, he said, there are, the monks in Japan don't even think. And I thought, I know how to do this because I suffered from migraine from time to time and if I wasn't walking down the road, I would go into a dark room, make it cool, dark, and sit, sort of sit up, and I would see the thoughts pass by, and if this thought caught my attention, and I would engage with a thought, like elaborate a thought, I had like a lightning through my mind, Um, and I used to say to myself, don't think, don't think. So I made a I made a distinction between what I called passive thinking, this is thoughts just passing by, and active thinking, when I engaged with a thought that passed through my mind. And that caused the pain. Um, So I was at this meditation retreat with this Dutch teacher, and he said, in Japan there are even monks who don't think. And I thought, I know how to do this. I'm going to go to Japan and practice meditation with those monks. That's what I did. That's how I ended up in Japan. Mm. And sister, tell us about, um, about that experience. What was it like?
0: Japan. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and that practice.
2: Mm-hmm. I also happened to do pottery. So mm. from that side, on the wheel, you know. So I was also interested in the Japanese art. So I decided to um, take three months off from my work and flew to Japan to go and visit potteries and visit zen temples and that's what i did i had a wonderful experience for three months but that also uh, gave me a connection a stronger connection with the japanese tradition because of my 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 uh, pottery and my uh, meditation however i found out maybe this is in, important to hear um when i didn't have a splitting Headache, a migraine. It was not so easy not to think. You know, I was much more <laughs> motivated not to think when I had a headache than when I didn't have a headache. Uh, so slowly, slowly, I learned also to uh, let the thoughts by without engaging in them with the practice, without having a headache. So in Japan, I found, um, I think, my first spiritual home, and after three months. I went back to Europe and a few years later, I had another opportunity to go to Japan. And I went to the main temple of the Soto School, Dogenzenji, that is just sitting. And then I met, met somebody in Tokyo who said, you know, there is a smaller temple which is not so big as, as uh, Eheji, which is very nice. It's not very far. And it's actually founded by a s- Chinese student of Dogen Zenji, J- Jaco and Zenji. So I went there. It was a little bit further into the mountains. Mm-hmm. And I really sort of had this encounter with a teacher who was elderly already, full of compassion, that I thought, this person I trust fully to give my spiritual life in his hands, it will be safe there. So then I asked him, uh, the the teacher, whether he would accept me as a disciple. And in Japan, uh, the monks can get married in certain traditions. So this master asked me, are you sure? Wouldn't you like to marry a monk? And I said, No, thank you. I want to become <laughs> a monk myself. <laughs> uh, so he said, Okay, uh, I'll accept you as a disciple. Yeah. So I ordained there. And this uh, temple is also so 700 years old. It's the mm-hmm. second oldest uh, Soto Temple, um, founded by a Chinese master. Uh, and I was the first woman and the first foreigner to ordain in that temple. Mm. And there were, you know, five monks or so, and uh, one of the monks had, had found it a bit difficult to see to see me there. So I had bell duty, the most important uh, role in a ceremony, right? In a big ceremony, I happened to be bell duty. So I was sitting behind the bell, practicing a few bells, and this monk came in, looked at me, and said, "A foreigner and a woman," <laughs> and I said. The founder of this temple was a foreigner <laughs> and then, you know, a chinese monk so he said oh. and then he was happy to leave me alone at least mm-hmm. at that time mm. um yes but my master was uh very compassionate mm. very compassionate and uh, i owe him a lot mm.
0: and sister do you want to tell us a little bit about um your introduction to Thich Nhat Hanh, and and how you came to join this tradition.
2: Yes. And so after three years in Japan, uh, where in the temple you have quite a busy life, I had no time to really um, study Japanese. My Japanese was rudimentary. You know, I could get by in daily life. I could understand my teacher. uh, I could interact with uh, the the, the monks and my brothers. Uh, So... I asked my teacher for permission to return to the West to find a place where I could study Buddhism more in depth in a language I understood better than Japanese. And he said he was sorry to let me go, but he, he for my own uh, progress on the path, he let me go, he supported me. So I came back to the West and uh, first attended a retreat with Ayakema, uh, which was very good and uh, i also went to america to green Goat where i came across the first issue of the mindfulness bell because it was 1990 and in there it said 21 day retreat buddhist psychology and whatever mindfulness or something like that and that's what i want Mm -hmm. so i wrote you know to uh, register and i came so i came to plum village and then i was asked by one of the sisters after the 21 day retreat to stay for the summer. Hmm. So I stayed and after the summer, somebody came and said, Thay has asked us to ask you to stay indefinitely. And I thought, I do not know what indefinitely means, hmm. but I'll start today. That's Wow. So, that's I'm still so you never, you didn't leave? No. So maybe indefinitely still going on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: But later on, Sister Gina, mm. you became the abbess of Lower mm. Hamlet. And I imagine in 1990, when you arrived at Lower Hamlet, Plum Village, it didn't look like a monastery, right?
2: <laughs> it looked like a very welcoming place. Mm. Um, but it had, it had a meditation hall, it had a dining hall, and there were teachings. So for me, that's the monastery. Mm. That's what makes a monastery. You know, you have, uh, you have teachings, you have clothing, food you know a uh, roof over your head what else do you want
0: hmm. sister for for a lot of our listeners they mm-hmm. don't really know that much about buddhism or the practice and it'd be really lovely to get a sense of your journey what what is it that you've if you you know what is the essence of what you've learned in these last sort of uh 30 years i know that's a big question but but what what, what are the <laughs> what are the sort of things that have helped guide your life
2: impermanent. Mm. Yeah, interbeing. I like mindfulness, concentration and insight. It's, you know, that I can uh, yeah, it's maybe my path. You know, have the mindfulness, you get the concentration, you can look. Especially in how things come to be. I'm also especially interested in Buddhist psychology, that's to say, I'm interested in the mind. So, my practice the focus of the practice is uh, still how do i nourish my mind you know what goes in comes out it's with everything what what goes into the mind comes out of the mind yeah so what do i look at what do i listen to what do i read what do i think especially think you know what do i water or strengthen don't know how much I go into Buddhist psychology, but you know, uh, what wa- what seeds do I water in my store consciousness in my daily life? So, a, for,
0: for those who might not know, can you just sort of maybe describe what you mean by store consciousness? Because yeah. that's quite at the heart of mm. Thay's teachings and Buddhist teachings. Mm. What, what is store consciousness?
2: Um, store consciousness is um, the totality of seeds. All right, So you have collective store consciousness. No, a whole country has a kind of uh, you know you can see the store consciousness in the in the way a country is, the the populations and things like that. But we also have an individual store consciousness. And we have all the seeds in store. I cannot say I Uh, uh, there's no discrimination in me. There is, because it is in me in seed form. But like any seed you have in the earth, let's say store consciousness is like the earth that contains all the seeds. And the seeds that you water will grow into plants. And when they grow into plants and flower, they become um, mental formations. So it doesn't become a physical formation, like a plant, but a mental formation. And you have positive mental formations and not so positive mental formations and you have neutral mental formations so i practice what do i consume what seeds do i water what plants am i um, am i growing what does my garden of the mind look like
0: and what's your experience of how how difficult is that because because for a lot of people in now in this very complex world, they have so many thoughts, so many, they consume so many different things. They're, they're completely surrounded by advertisements and uh, different ideologies and different thoughts. And they, how, how does one start to cultivate that when it can feel so overwhelming?
2: Yeah, uh, difficult to do alone, difficult to do alone. So to, to find a, a group of people who does the same thing, who is aware of what they water in their store consciousness, even if they do not know the word stored consciousness, or who are mindful consumption, you know, through whatever mouth, ears, eyes, yeah thinking. Don't forget thinking. <laughs> so Sangha and Sangha building. And this is one of uh, Thai's uh, teachings. It's also what attracted me so to Thai's teachings, what I find uh, very good Sangha building. Uh, the importance of that alone, is not easy i've just come back from two years uh, sabbatical it was not meant to be two years but because of COVID, it turned out to be two years and um i was in contact with the local sangha i really needed that is uh because there's so much being offered we have access to all sorts of things and we need a very clear knowing what does this to my mind and my mind is also my being. So what kind of being do I become through what I uh, consume? You know? uh, so I think in the world what we need is Sangha.
0: And and can you give a sort of, is it possible to describe what impact that has had on your life? So so you've been practicing for more than 30 years,
2: mm-hmm.
0: probably nearly 40, probably more mm-hmm. than 40, 50 <laughs> years maybe now. How would you describe the benefits of that to your daily life.
2: You know, you see, you can describe when you have something else to co- compare it with, but they only have one life, so that's not so easy. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, it is true, but, but just a sense of how, yeah. how your life is as a result of all <laughs> yes. this effort. Yes, yes. Um, first of all, it's never a boring moment. Um, it has definitely made me more compassionate towards myself and towards others. Uh, So not so judging, not so discriminating. Um, So more inclusiveness. Uh, Also more able to understand. I used to be afraid of people who are angry as a child. Now I understand that their seed of anger is big in them, not necessarily because of their own doing. No, they may have... We inherit seeds from our uh, from our from our parents, grandparents. You know, uh, it's very interesting to to sort of write down this seed is my grandfather. Sometimes I should say, "Oh, this is my grandfather," and this is my mother. This is my aunt. I have an, I have an, one of my aunts was a nun. This is my aunt, definitely. Uh-huh. Um, to to be able to embrace it. I think when we see what comes up in us, uh, sometimes good things, we're very happy to embrace those, but sometimes that's not so good to really acknowledge it is there and I need to take care of it. And if I want to take care of it, I have to embrace it. I have to take it like if a little child cries, I have to take it into my arms. It's not going to stop crying if I just leave it by itself. So when I uh, uh, see something in myself that I think that's not so um, positive, then I say, first thing is to accept it. So I also accept my non-perfectness. I'm not perfect. I still have lots of opportunities to grow and to become more compassionate. Um, So the practice basically has learned me to have more self-acceptance, self-compassion, and that is what I need in order to uh, take a step in direction of um, healing. And Brother Fatpu,
0: can you tell us a bit why it is so? So Sister Gina is so loved in this community, and and before we started recording, you were just saying how she had been a role model to you because she had been an abbess before you became the abbot. And I was saying we should start a series called the abbess and the abbot i don't know if it'd be a comedy or or a or a or a drama or what but um can can you can you give us a sense of what is it about sister gina that because she says quite rightly i i am me so i can only experience myself but uh, you are not sister gina and so you're able to experience her as an outsider what what is it about her that you feel she's gained
1: from from this practice and how has it supported you Mm. I first met Sister Gina in 1990, 1999, I would say, because that was one of the summer retreats that I stayed in the lower hamlet with uh, my sister and the sisters. And even back then as a child, I remember seeing Sister Gina um, go around the monastery. And one thing that I I always noticed was her elegance, her way of walking, her way of... Um, interacting, her way of moving, it had this elegance. And later on, I learned that she also has some background in dancing. And so that's where I, I see this this elegance, this flexibility would, would be translated just through her body action. And late, when I became a monk, I was very young. I was only 14 years old. But thirteen years old uh, as an aspirant, and I became um I became aspirant, which means in training with um, three other young teenagers, and among them there were two young teenager girls, and we were all trying to discover our roles in the community, and I know that the young teenager girls who later on became. Uh, two sisters in our community because we would always gathered on days of mindfulness and we would talk about our life and gossip <laughs> about <laughs> monastery life. And we would always ask how we're doing. And I re- always remember the sisters sharing that sister Gina is very supportive. The abbess of Lower Hamlet is very supportive of their presence and their, and their growth because we we're very young. So we were very new and we, I am sure we made a lot of mistakes of what we shouldn't be doing, but because of our nature at that age, we were also still being young and we always felt accepted. And I think for myself, I felt accepted by Sister Gina and I... I think our we have an age gap in our um, of how many years is it? Ooh. It must be about forty years, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have to be so accurate, <laughs> but something like that. Well, but, just say that you're you're five years old, sisters, uh, forty five. But um, but I always took refuge in in Sister Gina because I felt her acceptance, and I felt that whoever and however I am, she will support me. That's the first thing. And, and a lot of times, maybe the first thing you feel from somebody else is a judgment. But from Sister Gina, I felt she looked at me as who I am. And somehow that just gives you space, right? That allows you to to also recognize yourself and see your own shortcoming and also see your growth. and. Like Sister Gina shared about nourishing our store consciousness, our mental formations, our qualities in us. I also, um, I also received a lot of, a lot of, um, in our Plum Village language, we call it flower watering. Mm-hmm. Our <laughs> appreciation, and so for someone young like that, for somebody who has been a monastic for a long time, to express that, that has a huge impact on us. And so I remember, especially during Lunar New Year, when we would visit each other's room, and we have this tradition in our culture to express our gratitude. And it's very easy for a young one to express the gratitude to someone who has been here for a longer period of time. But when the elders would express their gratitude to to me and to um, the young monastic, we just felt so loved. And and that gave us like a lot of nourishment, a lot of nutriment. And then later on I became the abbot of Upper Hamlet and Sister Gina was still the abbess of the Lower Hamlet um, at that time. And I remember her congratulating me and I remember her sharing um, that if I need any support, please reach out. And that was really important for me. And we never had any official like abbot or abbess gathering or like training. And that's one thing that 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 was very unique is that there was not a particular training on what it means to be abbot or abbess. So I did I did look at Sister Gina as a role model, seeing how she took care of her hamlet, how she listened and how she was able to just be. And later on now, I've been an abbot. This is my 10th year, Sister Gina. (laughs) So now that um, being an abbot, I recognize that those are the three qualities that are super important. How to listen, how to be, because to be means you have to be present. And to be truly present, you have to be open. And in that way, you can hear the concerns, you can hear the questions, and you can also hear the suggestions that people want to offer. And sometimes they just want to be listened to. And that's what I received from Sister Gina. And I said, okay, this is something doesn't cost so much. It just asks me to be present and just to be with them. And this is some of the key elements that I can share that I've really appreciate from Sister Gina and there's so much more, but those are some of the things that I can point out right here, right now. Great, thank you. And um, it's quite interesting. I just want to pick up
0: on something that happened to me yesterday, which which taps into this. And Sister Gina, you, you talked about how important it was when you entered the Japanese monastery that that you saw in, in this master that, that, that you could trust your spiritual life to him and um, I had this really strange experience yesterday where I was just uh, in the garden and um, and someone just came down the driveway who was a, a real estater So he was someone who buys and sells properties and he just asked he was looking for a house which he thought might be for sale locally and did I know where it was and I asked him his name and then I said you know you look very friendly and uh, we just started chatting a bit and he said you know, he said, what, what, what do you see in me? What, what is it you see in me? And I said, I, I see that you're someone I can trust fully. And he just burst into tears. And, um, and, and it touched him so deeply that he said, well, so few people trust us as, as property agents. You know, we're not trusted, but just for someone to say, I trust you, just literally, you know, it was such an unusual thing. He just came to look for guidance, but, but he, he felt something very deeply. And so, I just—it's that sense of when, when you feel you're in the presence of someone you trust, um, it just creates safety. It allows us to to fully express ourselves. And and it's a shame, in one sense, that this is a podcast, not a, a video interview, because um, as I'm looking at you, Sister Gina, right now, and every time I see you with your bright, shiny blue eyes and your your sort of joyful nature, that it's um, that every time I see you. It is with i it just it's like a tuning for it. It resonates to the joy in myself. It resonates to the lightness of my being. and um, and so, as you say, you can't experience yourself beyond yourself, but um but here are a couple of examples of people that you touch, and I think it speaks of the depth of the practice, doesn't it, of how much we're able anyone is able to embody this work that you often don't have to say a lot but it's your embodiment, it's who, who we are individually and collectively that, that changes the world. So sister, tell us a little bit about Your practice. So, so some people say, "God, you've been practicing this tradition for thirty-one years. You should know it all. You should be enlightened. There should be nothing else. You should just sit there on your chair, with light pouring out of you, and sort of (laughs) job done." Is it still a journey you're on? How would you describe where you are and and what you
2: see? The journey is the goal Mm -hmm. so it's it's walking the path it's practicing uh, and to arrive if you like in every step every moment it's not like i'm going to run because i want to get what to enlightenment that's not how you get to enlightenment in fact enlightenment if i have understood correctly is in the present moment yeah, to arrive in every step, to be fully present in every step, to live fully every moment. I have an image that my mind is like fluid, colored maybe, and I let it flow from my mind where it may be heavy to every nook and crook of my body. And then my body and mind are perfectly one. And then, nothing can throw me over, nothing can viscule, nothing can disturb me. Nothing can throw me off, is that what you say? Yeah, Yeah. So that's my practice. It's what I practice when I sit on a cushion, of course, because then you have a moment where you don't really do anything. Uh, but I also practice it during the day, maybe when I stand somewhere and I notice when I'm starting to get top-heavy, you know, when all your energy is in your head, I think a little bit and you give me a little push and I'll fall over because I'm totally top-heavy. I think, just a moment, I'm bringing, I'm spreading the energy all out through my body, you know, to the tip of my toes, tip of my fingers, if you like, and then you can try and push me over and you won't succeed. Mm. I mean... People have tried. <laughs> it doesn't, you cannot. And to live like that. And for me, when, when I came to Plum Village and I saw Thai walk, I thought, that's it. Totally, total oneness of body and mind. Uh, moving through space, if you like. And I thought, if you try to push this man master over, you won't succeed. I won't succeed.
0: He says can you talk a little bit more because often, and Ty has said this, and that that you know and I feel it often in myself that I don't feel my mind and body are connected at all that i i I don't have this sense of oneness what, what, what is so important about mind connected to the body, as opposed to that you know, with people sitting in front of computers every day and they're using their mind all the time, but their body is like just an accessory or just a vessel to hold the mind. Well, what's the,
2: why is it important to change that perception? Well, the simplest answer is to live life fully. Uh, we're not headings, we're beating beings, if you like. you know. So come out of the head and come into the body. So we have bells implemented. When we hear a bell. We stop doing what we are doing and we come back to ourselves. That's to say my practice is I take my breathing as a, a, an, an anchor, as something to, to hold me in the present moment. The breathing in and out is always happening in the present moment. So is our body, but the breathing is moving and therefore I find it sometimes a little bit easier to bring my moving mind to something that's moving but in the present moment so and then being totally aware of the, the in-breath as it starts from wherever you feel maybe somewhere the nostrils follow it all the way down the air is a little bit cooler than the inside of the body and follow it all the way out also and um, That is something that happens in the body, so then the body and the mind are one and then you have the, the solidity. Thais says, I have arrived, I am home. I was very intrigued by that, I have arrived, I am home. So I practice arriving in every step. And I did something like, I, I take a step, I said, I'm not going to take another step before I know I have arrived. When we arrive, we know we have We know we have arrived, and if I need to describe the experience of arriving, it is um, the mind again, like becoming the same shape as my body, and it is, boom, there is, there is indeed a feeling of arriving. Tai used the image also of a pebble that falls to the bottom of the river, and that's. I thought yes. I make my mind the same shape of, as my body. So it starts from the top and it goes all the way down. And it has, I used to call it a sinking feeling. Yeah, you're right. You're on your stuff.
0: And what would home mean to you? If that's what arriving feels like, what, what is home to you? What do you think? Well, home is when I feel I'm fully myself. Where I feel I can let go of the mask or pretense of trying to be somebody else. or be more than who I am, or to hide parts of me, but just to be fully, sort of, in a sense, naked and transparent, and that um, I don't need to hide anything, and I can, I can be happy and content with all my wounds and all my scars. I think that's my my sense, and and in fact, when I think I might have described it in a previous one of the previous podcasts, but when I first came to Plum Village and um, and my wife and I got married here and Ty invited us for tea the next day and he said, um, he said, what is, you know, how has these last two weeks been for you? And, I, and without thinking, I just said, they, they've been two of the happiest weeks of my life. And he sort of asked me to talk a bit more about that. And I, say, I said, "I for the first time, I feel I've come home to myself, that I I could let go of my worries, my fears and it felt i i was i was fully me and um and in a sense in the way you had your moment in plum village you know my moment was that because i it suddenly dawned on me that this was that i'd never experienced that before i'd spent most my life uh, being at war with myself having um always arguing with myself always unhappy with myself always judging myself and that uh, the part of me that um that wanted to feel whole was often felt squashed and um and attacked and and this was the first time that i was able to fully let my defenses down and feel whole thank you for asking
2: welcome <laughs> <Thank> now <you. laughs> how about you sister
0: <laughs> What's, what does it mean for you To be home, yeah.
2: Yes, it's for me. It's also full acceptance of what I am, how I am, and where I am. It's really nowadays we hear a lot about self compassion, and I think that's self compassion. It's just also a door that leads to full self acceptance and arriving home. the oneness of body and mind. My body is the home of my mind. Yeah, Yeah. Brother Fapu, what what does
0: it mean for you? Because I think this is, I think, you know, the whole of life is about wanting to come home in one sense. That's everyone's journey.
1: Somehow this has become a very deep question. (laughs) It's making me... uh reflect a little bit and I think where I am at now, in 2021, and with all of the challenges of the world and the challenges of uh, the communities and the questions that uh, we have to look at, uh, sometimes uh, I want to just hide away in a tunnel somewhere <laughs> and, and look, at, look at the wall and not to have to think too much. And so sometimes I, I feel like I'm trying to run away from something and that's when I know I'm not at home. And recently I've also been practicing on accepting, accepting whatever, whatever manifests, whatever happens. There's always a way there can always be a a way and it might not be like the best solution or like, but it is the best we can offer and we can do right now. And for me, if I feel that there is solidity in that present moment and there is acceptance in that present moment, and I still have confidence and trust in myself as well as in the community, that's home for me at that present moment. And for me, I, uh, I think home is, is not a permanent thing that I should be attached to in, in the state of feeling and the state of, of emotions. But for me, I also have to learn to nourish my home and then to feel more at home in every moment. Because there's no perfect world and there's no perfect um, situation. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that when 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 this when when you asked uh, and when I was listening to Sister Gina's uh, sharing, that also made me reflect a little bit. Because I can always say, "Oh, the resident, the, the monk's residence is my home," but that's maybe not exactly the home that we look. And we contemplate and we try to understand when we talk about the practice. Yeah, it's funny because um, my wife, Paz,
0: is an artist and she, um, when we were in New York, she had ex- an exhibition called Home is a Shelter. Hmm. And um, and just that name, I think, says so much. Home is a shelter to ourselves, But but she works with discarded objects and found objects on the street or on the beach. and And, and it's like... It's like she collects fragments of herself, and then she weaves them together into what she calls sort of like nest-like structures, and and I and I feel that um, that's so symbolic of life. I, I feel, and I know in Kabbalistic, um, in the in the Jewish spiritual tradition, there's this idea that 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 there was this whole vessel that was like a pottery vessel, almost that was mm. splintered into a thousand pieces. And that we spend our lives almost trying to collect those pieces, and and in that sort of Japanese tradition of wabi sabi, you know, trying to bring them back together, but but not by glue, but with gold. In a sense, that we're 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 creating something. We're trying to recreate, bring something back, but actually, that's more beautiful than when it was in its original state. And. Um, and I, and I think home is is that sense of collecting all the fragments of our life um, back together. Um, sister, there's a lot of talk about the present moment, and I know this is something that's that's obviously, it's it's a deep part of the practice, but something you keep coming back to in the present moment. Yeah. So can, can you, for, for those who are listening, can you just talk about, in a sense, how can you describe the present moment as opposed to the fact that, going through a day is just of course it's the present moment because i'm i'm here now What well, what is the deeper meaning for you of the present moment and and how can someone start to live that who may not have any sort of deep understanding of of buddhist philosophy or the practice someone who's maybe listening to this who's just come across it by chance
2: I think in their lives, uh, they can uh, take something, maybe when the alarm clock goes off in the morning, maybe you sit at five minutes earlier than you usually get up, Um, then you switch off the alarm clock and then kind of jump out of bed and start doing things to stay in bed or sit up. And for a moment, ask yourself, How's my body? Mm-hmm. And sort of go mentally through your body, body parts. This is what I do, not every day. And I thank my eyes for being there. My nose, my mouth, my ears. You know. I thank my hands. I thank all the parts in my body. Also my heart, my liver, that functions. and. Uh, I thank them for being there. And when there is a part that hurts, maybe a little bit, uh, let's say we ate too much of something the day before. You, know, you wake up and you're not quite sure what your liver you know, is trying to tell you. When something hurts, I go with my attention to that part of the body and I say, you may be there too, I love you too. So that my body is... Uh, feels well and um, loved uh, there's so many parts of our body that work so hard for us, and I think sometimes you know I go a whole time and I think haven't thought haven't thought of thanking my body at all you know and it's just doing all this this job the heart just keeps beating all the time and blood keeps flowing and then all sorts of things are happening um, to thank them and that is uh, what gives me a lot of energy in the morning when I wake up, I start the day with gratitude for my body. And then the rest of the day can unfold.
0: And the present moment, um, What what is the present moment?
2: <laughs> is there something that's not the present moment?
0: Oh... Brother Fapu, this is getting too you. You, you take over. Uh, this is going. This is going too deep for me. Brother Fapu, question to you: Is there something that is not the present moment? Wow, <laughs> is there something that is not the present moment? I'm not going to answer that one. Yeah. <laughs> I think the answer is no, but I, I'd rather have uh, someone else
1: describe why before we get the answer from Sister Gina. <laughs> well, maybe let's go back to what is the present moment. Yeah. Yeah. The present moment is where life is happening, and that is very clear. But it takes a practice, it takes an attention to be present for that life, that moment that is happening, because time is flowing. The concept of time, we, we, we gave it, right? But it's always happening. And right now, this very moment, is the present moment, but the next moment, it becomes the past. And then the next moment, it becomes the future. So the present moment is a manifestation that is all around us. How our life is, our loved ones is right there, right here. That is can also be the present moment. Your breath can be the present moment. The gratitude can be a present moment the awareness of life, the awareness of the tree, that can be the present moment. And we, as, as humans, we have so much capacity because we have so many qualities inside of us. And we have to know how to touch the present moment in order to allow these qualities to manifest truly, especially the qualities that we want to nourish and that we want to grow for it to be a strong character for us. For example, in this present moment, do you have compassion or not? If you can touch that seed of compassion through understanding, then in the present moment, you can call that a compassionate moment. So the present moment holds everything, but it depends on how we can cultivate that present moment. That's very important. And it sounds very easy. but it's a whole life training. And um, I just wanna say I'm enjoying this podcast so much because I don't have to say a lot and I get to listen <laughs> to our dear wonderful elder sister, Sister Gina. And when she was talking about her practice and what she has been able to gain and been able to recognize what has supported her on her journey. And a lot of it, we can see that It is the fundamental basic trainings that you will hear on your first retreat when you come to Palm Village. But still today, when Sister Gina mentioned, especially about walking and being fully present for your step, and I still recognize that I still have to put a lot of, a lot of energy into that practice. I still see that there's so many times that I'm just rushing, and there's so many times that I'm just walking without knowing why I'm walking. And that's why these practice, even though they are so simple and but they are so deep. And when we talked about home and I have arrived, I'm I am home. This is one the first Dhamma Seal in our tradition, the Village tradition, being able to arrive and be home in this present moment. And because in this present moment, it holds also the past and the future. It's interesting because, um,
0: because in some ways, you said, brother, you know, it's, it's so simple yet so profound. But in a sense, the profundity is always simple. That actually people, especially with a sort of Western mindset we're always looking for complexity and that we think we we can find truth in complexity but my sense is you know of course we have to understand complexity but actually the the most profound things are always the things that that almost it's so easy to take for granted and by taking it for granted actually it's an avoidance but actually our most profound so sister you asked the question is there anything other than the present moment and i i guess from fat poo's answer the the answer is no But help us. Is there anything else you want to add?
2: Well, thank you, Brother Fapu. It's wonderful to hear you uh, share the Dharma so beautifully. Um, The present moment is the only moment we have. And I think if we realize that, this is the only moment we have, we will live our lives differently. We may not uh, spend time thinking what we're thinking, We may not uh, say what we were about to say. We may not uh, do what we were about to do. Uh, Because it's the only moment. We also will interact with others in a different way. We think we're going to live forever. We live as if we're going to live forever. We live as if everybody else is going to live forever. But that's not the case. If you think this is the only moment, there wouldn't be so much war. (laughs) I think, if everybody would realize that, you know, this is the only moment we have. Um, and in Plum we have bells, many bells we hear, and whenever we hear the sound of the bell, we stop, which means we stop our physical actions. Uh, some of the younger ones, they like to stop, like, with one... Leg in the air, one hand to the air, because that's when they hear the bell, you know, they freeze, they become a statue. Uh, we can put our foot and our hand down, <laughs> of course. And be, and be relaxed. And be relaxed, exactly. <laughs> but they play. Um, so we stop and relax. When we stop, relaxation comes naturally. It's the nature of stopping, it's the nature of uh, letting go of what is. Um, crowding our mind, what is preoccupying us, what is tearing us away from the present moment. And then this 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 relaxation, this stopping happens naturally. And if, for instance, at home and you have um, the telephone, does the telephone ring nowadays? You don't need to be at home, it can ring anywhere. So if we hear our phone whatever gadget we have ringing instead of um, frantically starting to look where it is in which pocket did i leave it, did i put it did is it in my backpack is it in my uh, coat mm. where is it you know there is a hectic and then uh, answer in a not very peaceful way um, instead of doing that we can when we hear this tune to take a moment to become aware that our in breath or our out breath is happening. It's a miracle because that's life. Life is a miracle. That is happening. We can become aware of our body. Are we tense? You know, what is happening? And of course, we, come, we can become aware of our mind. Uh, what is the state of our mind at that time? And can we, with an out breath, relax the tension in our body and let go of what was preoccupying us? to be truly present, and then answer the phone. We will hear who's calling. We can tell already by the sound of their voice whether they're happy or not happy, what kind of support they may need. And whatever they ask, we can respond from a place of being present, and the other will feel heard, understood. Uh, And if everybody would just do that, you know, the world would be a much better place. Would be more compassionate. Because we all have the uh, seed, that means the, the, the capacity. Uh, is that what you could call it there? It's, it's, it is an... Uh, I'm looking for another word, it doesn't come. But anyway, we all have the capacity to be compassionate. We all have the capacity to be present. We just have to cultivate it a little bit, because we have forgotten That we can be present, and we have the capacity to be compassionate. Mm. On a trip to India, we went through a little village, and the bus stopped, and there was uh, a man doing his laundry. And I looked, and I could see that man is truly present. There's nothing on his mind, he is just fully engaged in doing his laundry. He probably never heard of mindfulness, you know, but he knew his life was present. So we do not need to study a lot. We do not need to read that many books. If we can become aware of our breathing, which is a process of the body, so it brings us back to the body, relax the body, we will see we are present. We will see more clearly what is happening within us, what is happening around us, and we will interact in a more... I would say appropriate to the situation, but I like to call it compassionate way.
0: Sister, um, I want to come to your book because you've written a book called Moments of Joy. And th- these are things, I mean, coming back to the present moment, these are things that you have written down in the present moment. So I'm I'm going to uh, just read out three or four. But before I do, it, it's organized It's um, on the season. So it starts with summer then autumn, spring sorry or summer autumn winter and then spring before i read it out can you just tell us a little bit about about the book about um what 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 it is that you mean by present moment writings
2: yes uh, may i first say something about the season about the book yes of course <laughs> well i had this uh, collection of moments of joy and they asked the publisher asked me do i have something to publish and i thought okay well i have this so i just gave it to them and I said uh, can you arrange it i thought how do i arrange these moments and then i thought oh well the easiest way is whatever i have noted down in the spring season i was called spring and then you know summer autumn winter but it has nothing to do with spring summer autumn and winter so if you go through the book you think this doesn't reflect winter it's because I, I didn't want to call it one, two, three, four. That's why I choose. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's po-
0: it's po- poetry in motion.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Okay. These moments of joy uh, are actually my diary entries. It's not poetry. You know? um, during a 3 months silent retreat, I started to keep uh, a diary, which I usually don't, so... After a few days, it started to just jotting down in a few, with a few words a moment of the day, and that moment was when I was truly present. I decided my basic my practice is going to be dwelling in the present moment. So I, it was really coming back to myself all the time with my steps when I noticed my mind was wandering off to somewhere miles away, and in a different century, if you like. I thought, no, 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 we are in this century and here and now. I brought it back to my body. My body is here and now. My mind can be anywhere, but my body is here now. So I brought it back to my body and um, filled my body with mindfulness to be in the present moment. And then I started to uh, live moments that... Uh, the moment I lived them, truly present, uh, expressed itself in words. I have Irish roots. Irish people are people of words. So it expressed itself in words. Uh, and then my diary, more and more, there were little moments written down. And I called them moments of joy because at the moment when you know, I'm truly present, there is joy. There is no worry. There's no anxiety. There's no fear. There is no kind of um, overwhelming joy, if you like. There is just this present, and that is very joyful. You know? uh, that's why I call them moments of joy. And when I came back, I would write them down. These moments are maybe when you're a photographer. You know, you walk around with uh, a camera. I travelled quite a bit before I didn't, and I always had a camera with me to, you know, get the shot. Um, and you cannot sort of see a little scene and think, okay, I need what lens am I going to take this one, this one, this one? Which one you know, you know. By the time you finish, you you get your camera ready, the moment is gone, you know. So it's more like instamatic <laughs> photographs of my daily life, but in words.
0: Yeah, Wonderful. In words. So maybe I can read one from each season, so Summer. Let me enjoy every moment of this sitting. All is quiet. Nowhere to go. Nothing to do. Just me and my breath. Autumn. This morning It looks so quiet outside. I open my window to hear the silence better. Winter. This morning, my little yellow teapot fell, broke, and turned into sweet memories. And then spring. At the tip of every blade of grass, a glistening dewdrop, a carpet of diamonds. Beautiful. Thank you, sister.
2: Thank you.
0: Um, in the introduction uh, to the book, you talk about gladdening the mind and i just wanted to ask you a bit about that because um when we were chatting the other day you were saying people always tend to look for the problems in life rather than looking at what's right um and i remember sort of Town used to say something similar he said if if you're if a if a tree dies in a garden or a forest the mistake is to put all your attention on the one tree that is um that is dead. But actually, it's really important to look at all the other trees that are still healthy and vibrant. Um, Can you just talk to us a little bit about what you mean by gladdening the mind and about that sense of focusing on what's going right in the world?
2: Yeah. With gladdening the mind, I'm referring to what I was talking about earlier, how to um, nourish our store consciousness, how to nourish our mind, watering seeds, you know. Um, If we um, watch a lot of um, violent movies, we are watering the seed of violence in us. We all have the capacity to be violent. Some of us, the seed is not very strong, so it doesn't express itself in our thinking or speaking or actions. Uh, But if we start watching violent movies, we can become violent ourselves or fearful. Um, So, gladdening the mind, it was my practice, I'm going to uh, look at things and recognize how it is a precious something. When we see in the sky a rainbow, everybody goes Oh you know? It is uh, collectively decided that the rainbow, rainbow is beautiful. Okay? But we don't always have these conditions around us. And if we really present, we can see um, things that gladden our mind that we're happy about. So if I have a toothache, I've noticed my tongue always goes to the tooth that hurts. You know? And I'm miserable. And one day I thought, okay, one tooth hurts. And how many teeth do not hurt? <laughs> you know? I felt better straight away. Mm. You know? So gladdening the mind, look at the way we look at things. You know? And we can look at something and it will make us miserable or we can just look at it from a different angle and usually my experience is gratitude. And gratitude is definitely one way to gladden our mind. So look what is right in our lives, even if a lot of things go wrong. Look for what is still right, and I'm sure we will find something. And then allow that what is right to gladden our mind.
0: Hmm? Brother Fapu, what is um what's a moment of gratitude you can point to right. today? Right well, here, give me a, right give now. Me a sense to, today. What we're 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 approaching lunchtime.
1: What what have you? What can you show gratitude for this morning? Right here, right now, with Sister Gina, with Joe Confino, and the whole squad around the table. Um, I haven't seen Sister Gina in almost two years, so just to have her presence back uh, with us in Plum Village, and her accepting to join a conversation. I'm so grateful because I just... It's been a long time for me just to, to sit with um, uh, somewhat, uh, a long time spiritual friend who uh, who has impacted my life so much within the last 20 years as a monk. And today, just to hear your experience and your sharing has, has really uh, given a lot of uh, new energy for my own practice and my own um, way of looking at uh, life. And I will definitely practice gladdening the mind today, tomorrow, and uh, continue to see all the beauty of life no matter what situation we're in thank you so much sister Gina yeah,
0: yeah thank you sister Gina and, and just before we we wrap up I mean it's I don't know um if you the listeners are able to feel the energy that is in this room but it there's um there's a sense of as sister Gina's been talking we've, we've been almost clunking down the levels you know you start off at sort of fairly sort of <laughs> you know surface level and then you sort of feel yourself sort of uh, going down a level and a level a level. And um and in terms of gratitude, um and for those listeners who haven't listened to all the episodes, we're we're actually recording uh these episodes in the hut, the sitting still hut of Tiknatan in Upper Hamlet. Um this very simple hut made of wood. And um we're sitting around his kitchen table and we can there's a doorway uh, uh through to his uh, living room, very small living room and bedroom, and uh, his jacket and coat are still hanging up uh, because Thay is now living in Vietnam and has been for the last uh, three or so years. And and um, and uh, as Fat Pu said, we've got um, got a couple of other monastics. Uh, my wife Paz is here. Kata is here, who uh, is a long-term lay practitioner, and um, we're all sitting. We've all been brought together. By um, a great teacher who has touched the lives of millions of people around the world, who've given people a sense of hope uh, when they were in darkness, a sense of how to be in the world, a sense of uh, how to counteract the. Um, Almost the sort of almost viciousness of the capitalist system and Western system in which we live, which often drags us away from ourselves, and um, and Tai has offered us, as you say, Sister, a way home, and it's uh, it's where we all want to come, all want to come home to ourselves. So, um, Sister Gina, it's been an enormous honour, and um, and I know uh, you don't particularly like. To be in the limelight and giving interviews so um, very much appreciate the fact that um, you joined us this morning and and brought brought this sort of weight as you call it this sort of this um this weight to the conversation in a sense of sort of i feel heavier in a but in a lighter way and that's a there's, <laughs> there, there's a paradox Luffy. i haven't quite worked out but uh, uh, but it it feels true <laughs> So, Sister Gina, thank you very much.
2: Thank you. My pleasure.
0: So thank you for listening to this latest episode of The Way Out Is In. Uh, You can find all the other episodes in the series on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on all other platforms that uh, carry uh, podcasts, and most particularly the Plum Village app
1: and this podcast was possible thanks to the Plum Village community as well as the Thich Nican Foundation. And now,
0: uh, as usual, we're going to finish off with Brother Fap Hu um, giving us a guided meditation. And in the, all the beautiful feedback we've had for these podcasts, one of the things people particularly mention is that they really value um, these short meditations. So, Brother, take us away.
1: Take us home. (laughs) (laughs) Dear friends, wherever you are, you may be walking, going for a jog, going on a commute, sitting on your sofa, wherever you may be. If you can pause and allow yourself just to be still, but relaxingly, allow yourself to be aware of the body. Whatever state it may be, if there's any stress, any tension, just allow yourself to be present and slowly let these muscles relax. Now let us bring our awareness to our breath. As I breathe in, I identify this is an in-breath. As I breathe out, I identify this is an out-breath. This is in-breath. This is out-breath. My mind may be wandering to the past or to the future or to a story. But allow it to ease. Allow yourself to just be with the breath Let the mind gently come home to the body. Now breathing in, I follow my in-breath from the beginning to the end. And as I breathe out, I follow my out-breath from the beginning to the end. I am one with my breath. In, I am one with my out-breath, out. Allowing myself to arrive deeper in my body. Allowing myself to arrive more in the present moment. Breathing in, I am in touch with life around me. Maybe there are sounds of the birds, sounds of people walking by. Just allow yourself to be present with life happening around you. But you are solid because you are home in the body and in the mind. Breathing in life all around me Breathing out, life inside of me. Breathing in, I enjoy this present moment where life is happening. Breathing out, this is a wonderful moment. Breathing in, I am grateful that I am alive. I have conditions to breathe. I can walk. I can stand. I can eat. I can see how wonderful it is to just be alive. Breathing out, I smile to life with gratitude. In breath. How wonderful it is to be alive. Out breath. I smile to life. Breathing in. Life is present. Breathing out. I am present for life. Because I am present, this present moment is my home. In, present for life. Out, this present moment is home. Breathing in, I am in touch with all the wonders of life. Breathing out, I am grateful for all those wonders, all those conditions. Let me be grateful for these conditions and not take for granted these wonders in life. It may be small, may be simple, but it allows me to touch gratefulness as well as kindness and compassion in my daily life. In, in in-breath. Out, out out-breath. Thank you, dear friends, for listening and joining us in this podcast as well as for practicing. We wish you a wonderful day wherever you are.